Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. Today's Bird Camp episode, episode number five, recorded October 2nd, 2020. We're going to talk about first aid kit for bird dogs, as well as we're going to have a conversation with Todd Fox about ballistics. He's our weapons expert. And then lastly, we're going to talk with Dave, the biologist. He's with the DNR from the Eastern UP. Here it comes. Sit back, throw another log on the fire. All right, welcome to Bird Camp. This is uh, episode number five, October 2nd, 2020. Correct. Our uh, first topic of the day we want to talk about is uh, for you bird dog handlers and owners, it's what to carry in the field for a first aid kit. Pretty important. A lot of people don't carry anything. I've actually been guilty of that myself, but I do have stuff in the truck um, or ORV, but I highly recommend that you guys should carry something for your dog in case he runs and do... You know, anything from porcupine, rattlesnake, um, another dog, or just gets caught up in some brush, gets cuts. Well, we've had a lot of incidents. Uh, the one up north, your, your dog got tangled up with some type of cat. Uh, yeah. And, we, you know, I, I know our listeners are sitting here going, how do you know we heard the cat? I mean, <laughs> we were only 50 yards away through the jungle, but... There, there's a lot of predators, but there's a lot of other issues out there. I, I tried to locate, a, you know, working in the field, a veterinarian that could come on and help us. If any of the listeners know a veterinarian to come in and talk to us, I think it's very important. I think the first thing we've learned that you need to carry is water in a bowl. For yeah, that's obviously. Some guys just carry a bottle of water with the, uh, like the nipple on it you can buy out of like a 7-Eleven or gas right. and then spray their dog, and some dogs will take it. Some dogs won't. And they make all sorts of bowls that are flexible now, you know, that fold up. Fold up. Right. And uh, you have one of those, and it works yeah, pretty well. My, I, my dog just drinks out of mud puddles. Cause. Well, that's the other thing. That would be a good question if we could get a veterinarian on. And, again, looking for listeners' input on that. Uh, hydration has got to be terribly important. If we go out and walk six or eight miles a day, the dog obviously is doing, what, what do you think, 12? Well, 14. Four legs, so you know. Yeah, so you got to divide it by four instead of two. But um, not to make it a math problem, but they're uh, they're walking a lot and they're covering more ground left to right, front to back. Yeah, you know, a couple of things you and I discussed before we came on the air were uh, nail clippers for the dog yeah. is really important. Uh, I I think um, some type of pliers 
Yeah. Didn't you well, mention that? I just went on Google. Um, I was hoping for some feedback, but I just went on Google, and the first thing that came up is uh, Orvis has a kit for field dogs. I can just read through what they got going on here. Go ahead. Um, they have a small and a large. I'm just going to read what's in this small one. They, so they have a locking stainless steel surgical quality forceps for moving quills. That's always good. Uh, some needle nose pliers, stainless steel surgical quality scissors, a nail trimmer in case your dog gets a broken nail, which that, uh, that's that's happened. Yeah. Yep. What wasn't it? That happens in my house with my old retired English. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he actually broke a nail when we were up north. He did bleeding on the on the truck. Yeah, that's how we noticed. It. It's like, what is all this? And you know, he, never, of course, dogs being dogs, he never said a word. You know? Right. He, he was just like, those? he's just like looking at his paw, like, uh oh, I'm bleeding. Yeah. But, now this more on this kid. It says digital thermometer with case. I don't know about that. Most veterans I've seen do the rectal test. Yeah, that's <laughs> been my experience in examining rooms. Um, uh, what else they got here? A slip leash for restraining an injured dog. That's a good idea. Four sterile gauze pads, two by threes. Four rolls of sterile gauze, four by four yards. One roll of self-adhering bandage, two inches by five yards. Uh, two rolls of adhesive tape. Uh, one ounce of eye wash. I don't know. I mean, wouldn't the water work just as good? I guess maybe you want sterile. That's why you I want probably, sterile yeah. for eyes. I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> Let's see. But Orvis has a kit. That's really interesting. Yeah, they throw in a tampon. So for you, you're a single guy. That would work well because you're probably not going to have that in your house. No, no. I, but that, I've heard that's really good for, for an open wound for soaking up. For nosebleeds? I don't know what you use a tampon for. Nosebleeds. All right, we'll move on. Not leg a really good story about that in college, but I don't want to go there. No. Uh, hey, hey Kevin, your nose is broken. The trainer talked to me. He, we got stuffed up. We were in a busy locker room. He comes back. I'm like, not on your life, dude. We were in the girls' locker room, weren't you? Yeah, we were in the busy locker room. It's always the opposing girls. He's like, I, I don't have anything to stop. It's really bad. I'm like, no, no, that's wrong. But, um, I hope it was a new one. One thing about going back on topic. That's ridiculous. Bad. <laughs> Bad brother. All right. Um, no, uh, one thing, uh, and I think it, I think you mentioned it in the Orvis list. We got a little distracted there, but um, it, and thanks to Orvis for having that up there. It's really helpful in selling something that would help. But one thing I've noticed that we seem to always be lacking is a really good pair of scissors to cut the burrs in the in the thorns and stuff out of it. Because that can really distract a bird dog. I've seen your dogs do that. Oh, way. yeah, they it, hate it. They hate it. So I think I would add a nice pair of scissors in there. Does Orvis have that on there? That was, I already mentioned you that. Did. Stainless okay. steel scissors. Yeah. Um, that, I'll move on. What else I got in this little small kit? Non-latex gloves, which most guys carry those to clean their birds with as well. Right. A cold pack. That's good. Well, most of us have ice or a cold pack. Okay, then uh, that was their basic first aid. Okay, as far as the larger kit, um, that's in a different pouch they sell. That's just larger wound dressings, more... More gauze pads. Let's see. Anything different. Oh, six antiseptic towelettes. That's something different. Um, cool. Yeah, it's, it's just more of the same, but it's like larger and more amount. Oh, they have tw- uh, scissors and tweezers. Two triple antibiotic ointment packets. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to mention. I, I always carry in my box triple antibiotic in a tube. Yep. Four butterfly closures. So that's something probably not you can buy over the store. Maybe you can get that at the pharmacy. I don't know. Uh, two burn cream packets. 
20 antiseptic wipes, hydrogen peroxide. I do carry that antiseptic spray. I'm going back to the burn thing. How's a dog going to get burned? Campfire? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, muffler. Okay. Muffler. Yeah, there is. Go ahead. I, I, I don't know. Um, high calorie nutri- uh, I'm sorry. High calorie nutritional supplements. Yeah. Uh, M&M's doesn't count. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, they're actually calling that a high calorie nutritional supplement gel for an injured, sick, or stressed pet. Okay, and then they're recommending this Dr. Randy Acker's 93-page dog first aid field guide. Really? Um, what was his name, Dr.? Dr. Randy Ackler, A-C-K-E-R, Ackers, I guess, I'm sorry. And then they also uh, recommend, lastly, a Mylar, Mylar emergency blanket, which I carry those in the back of my truck. Uh, be prepared for any dog injury in the field. Comprehensive first aid field kit for dogs. Yeah, 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 just going on more about what I already said. But yeah, I mean that's a that's probably more than I would take. But I guess more is better. And they show a little picture of this. It's it's a small pouch you could carry in the back of your vest pretty easily. And the larger one, oh, that is a larger one. And the smaller one is even smaller. You could put in your back pocket if you had a big pocket, I guess. But, right. Right. Um, All right, folks, we have a one of our first in, first call-in listeners who is a friend of Kevin and I's, Todd Fox, and I'm going to let Kevin introduce him. He's on the phone with us. Yeah, t- Todd's uh, been part of our hunting party since basically the start. Uh, we we nicknamed him Philson, which is Phil's son, but his actual name is Todd, and Todd has covered a lot of miles with us, been to a lot of bird camps. Uh, Todd has an expertise in throughout his career uh, he's he's gone back and forth, but he's worked a lot with uh, firearms, and this is what the listeners has been asking for, uh, Matt and Todd. They've been asking for more information on what type of shot, what type of gun is preferenced, and we can't think of anybody better with better experience than Todd. So, Todd, let's let's start off with uh, welcome to Bird Camp, first time for you, and uh, as thanks, pa- Kevin. As part of the thanks, as part of the cubby, sure. let's bring you in and. Um, I think the first thing is, what type of shot to use? Well, Kevin and Matt, uh, I've enjoyed the time that we get to spend together in the field. And, uh, you know, when you think about shot and what, 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 shot, what shot size is appropriate, you got to take into consideration, number one, the time of year you're starting to grouse hunt or woodcock hunt. Early on, you know, like here in, in Michigan, for example, when season opens up on September 15th, you walk, you're walking out of this green, uh, huge green canopy of, of leaves. And uh, number one, the flushes may be pretty close, uh, but the ability to get eyes on a bird is going to be pretty hard. So I'm, I'm always one to advocate on the uh, smaller shot size, greater uh, quantity of shot in the air. So if you're, if you're using number nines, uh, a lot of folks that use it, and I also recommend sticking with a 12-gauge uh, early on in the season because you're going to get a lot more pattern downrange. Uh, and, and some of these you know, some of these guys that are out there that are tr- true upland purists are going to scoff and maybe say, you know, 28-gauge, 410 is great. I, I agree. When you're this early in the season, and, and if you're truly out there trying to, you know, get some birds and not frustrate the hell out of the dog, 
um, you know, 12 gauge, you're doing the dog a favor, you're doing yourself a favor, and you're also doing the grouse a favor because if you do connect with the bird uh, with a good shot, it's going to go down. So I, I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm, a, I'm in the camp of using number nine. Um, and actually, there's some really good loads out there. A lot of folks don't think about this, but Winchester, uh, they make a double A super handicap load, which is a is a is a target load. And guys, I think you know as they get ready for bird season, maybe they've gone out and spent some time uh, working the clay car, working the clay course over. And so, if you're using the already uh, shot, you know, like Winchester double A's. And again, I'm not I'm, just, I'm not picking that as a as a preference load, but success with. But if you look at the super handicap, it's maximum amount of drams. You're getting the number nine. It's, it's packed well. It's got a traditional uh, payload that you can deliver downrange consistently with great patterns. I guess, Todd, I've been misinformed because I always thought earlier in the season you want to use heavier, heavier shot to go through the leaves, like six early in the season. You, you're saying the opposite, if I understand you correct. I am. I, I'm saying that you're, you're, you're going to gonna remember, once you, once you pull the trigger and that shot column leaves that barrel, the minute it starts to come in contact with any type of foliage, your pattern completely becomes inconsistent. And so, uh, having you know having more shot downrange, and of course making you know making the right call on whether to pull up pull up on a bird or not. Uh, but again, I think you got to tailor that with you know up north, like in the Upper Peninsula, they've had some frost. Maybe they're starting to see some uh, early foliage come down. Again, I go, this is where I think there's this debate that goes on about, like you said, number six is you want more you want more energy, larger pellet size to push through. Um, so so it, it, it is a debate oh, absolutely. on the two yeah. schools. But isn't part of that your, your choke setting as well, depending on if you're yeah, using a double? Go, let's go to choke. Uh, what choke setting yeah. is your preference? Well, I guess it depends. Now, here's another question I would ask you guys. So if you're hunting with a dog and your dog is working within 10 yards to 20 yards close because of the of the uh, conditions, I'm going to say you're going to want to use skeet. And uh, skeet is going to give you a, a very wide pattern very quickly. But you got to remember these birds are going to be immature. They're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be sticking close to their, to their groups, uh, to the fraternal groups. And if they do go up, uh, it's going to be relatively close. And so having that skeet choke in there is important. The largest I would use probably until we start to see 10 or 15% leaf coverage come off is improved cylinder. Yeah. So I would use skeet improved cylinder. Yeah, I, I'm at improved right now is what I've got in my gun. I got, I got exactly what he's saying, skeet, then going to improved. He's going to improved. Interesting. Yeah. What, what about uh, the old argument, gauges? I mean, that's the old argument. You know, there was a big run on 20 gauges for a while for bird hunting. Uh, you know my preference. I mean, w w do you have any opinion on that? Oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, gauges are, I think, I think it depends on the individual shooter. Number one, what are you, what are you most comfortable with? And then if you're going to be trekking seven, eight miles a day uh, down two tracks, you know, do you really want to lug a seven or eight pound gun along? Or do you want to, 
have something uh, a little lighter. I, I find that a 20 gauge or a 16 gauge are kind of that sweet spot in uh, in upland bird hunting. And, and with today's new light alloy receivers uh, and uh, different uh, composites that you can get, I mean, you're, you could be looking at a gun that's five and a half, six pounds. That's very comfortable to shoot all day. And uh, 20 gauge is great. 16 is great. Uh, yeah, bro- bro- brother great. went to a CZ. Yeah, I got the CZ. And it's like just over five pounds. It's really light. And that's a twelve. Um, and your dad, last time I hunted with him, which was years ago, he was carrying a four ten. Yeah, four ten. Uh, that was a Turkish made four ten. You know, four tens have really become quite. If you're trying to find a four ten in a side by side, you're going to start to certainly pay uh, a significant uh, premium for that gun. Uh, you know, Ithaca made some a time ago. And most of those 410s that are of your older American-made variety are going to be, you know, $1,000 at least in any kind of good condition. But I think you got to look at it. 28-gauge, doctor, one of the doctors used to hunt with, Paul Misick up north. That gentleman there always hunted with a 28-gauge. I think that's, oh, that's truly a gentleman's grouse gun. That, uh, that may have been in the top three shots I ever seen when I saw him drop a big grouse from... 50 yards at least with that with that gun i just turned and looked at him just shook my head what a shot i mean just yeah that was that was later in october kevin when we had uh you know, maybe 50 percent leaf coverage and uh, i think that gun was choked modified improved and again with a side-by-side or over under you can choose which barrel you want to fire off first versus like a plump shotgun where you got you got one choke, and that's it. So yeah, unless you have a cool gun like I do, I picked up at a garage sale. It's a dial a choke. It's my goose gun. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a pretty cool concept. Cuts, uh, Cuts Compensator Company back in the fifties sold a ton of these dial a chokes, or you basically you grab the end of the choke, twist it right or left, and it constricts or opens up the choke on the gun. And actually, it's a very uh, it's a really great concept that if you can still find them, you can still. I mean, hell, I, I've got a Browning Auto Five in a 12 gauge, in a, in, a, in a standard version, and it's got a cut on it. And I can go out and shoot the clays course, and a lot of guys are like, you know, that's actually a really good idea, Todd, because you know, on some of these birds that are further away, you can tune that baby right down to extra full and give yourself extra range. These guys are screwing out their chokes, screwing in their chokes, and I'm like. Hey, Cuts had it. Cuts had it figured out clear back in the 50s. Yeah, I found that gun at a garage sale down in, when I lived in Georgia. I believe it, it's named after a baseball player. Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Sears Ted yep. Williams is what it was. Yeah. He, he, he uh, actually texted me and showed me a picture from the garage sale. Should I buy that? I go, you found the Ted Williams <laughs> Sears gun. Yes, buy it. Yeah, it's actually a coworker of mine who was relocated. Yeah. I don't know where he got it from, but I goose hunt with that thing. I went... Four days ago with it. Didn't see any geese yet. but Right. So we kind of covered shot size and gauges. Any other thoughts come to mind as far as uh, ballistics? I guess that's the right word, ballistics. Yeah, yeah I do. Uh, thinking about uh, some states are going to no lead policy, so you've got to switch it up to steel. Oh, that's a good, good topic. Uh, now, now I got to interrupt yeah. you here, brother. Uh, switching to steel, you know, I carry a very old gun too, uh, grandma, as, yep. as you know her. Uh, 
Is that harmful? Um, the gun I'm referring to is a Spanish-made side-by-side that's about 40 years old. Is that harmful? to? Because those are you know, barrels that you don't want to obviously replace. You're talking harmful to the inside of the to, gun. To the gun, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, if you start shooting steel shot through like an old Parker or an AH Fox or a Model 21, uh, I would say that you probably need your head examined because, so number one, uh, those guns were not designed uh, for steel shot. Steel gives steel doesn't give at all, and so when you start running those loads down those barrels, uh, you're creating unnecessary force on those guns. Not that you're going to have any issues uh, ballistically uh, or complicated because they're made as strong as you know as an as a anvil, but you're not doing you're not doing the gun any favors. Uh, you get you're going to get poor shot patterns, so. You know, there are companies like uh, that produce a bismuth or a non-toxic shot that, that you can purchase and use those, uh, you know, those older side-by-sides and over-and-unders uh, and, and not have that issue. I mean, you're better off investing in a, in a, in a box or a case of this ammo if you can find it in a non-toxic uh, but malleable type of shot because you're going to get better patterns. You're going to do, uh, you're not going to do any damage to your shotgun. And in addition to that, uh, you're also going to have the ability to, to go out there and try some different patterns. So maybe if you want to load, pick up a load of sevens, you know, if you get into October, switch down to seven and a half. Uh, and, if, and as you get into further into the season, and those birds are going to be further away because they've been hunted and they've been pushed and they've gotten smart, they're going to go up at 40, 50 yards from you. Then you want to switch to sixes because then you're going to have larger shot carrying a greater energy, longer distances, choked in a modified uh, or slightly tighter, and uh, that's where you're going to have some, some benefit of switching up the shot that way. <clears throat> I got I got a real serious question for you. If you were for say going for a 17 mile canoe trip, what's the best gun to put in the canoe so it gets wet? And should you borrow a gun from a friend or should you take your own? Terrible. Well, if that's a look, if that wasn't a loaded question, I don't know. Yeah, it was. <laughs> that's a. Um, that's number a... one, always use a friend's gun. Number <laughs> yeah, two, I did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. By the way. Yeah, make sure your friend is a Boy Scout, Eagle Scout that can help you survive the day. <laughs> yeah, and don't and don't take across. Don't take crazy friends out that uh, you know have a fascination with large Bowie knives either. Just, know <laughs> if, uh, they're gonna say crazy stuff that makes you wonder, man, what did I do to get, to get into this situation? Can, can, can we, we're not supposed to start a fire in a national yeah. forest. I really don't care. Burn something. Did you get a permit for that fire, yeah, sir? exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what it was said. No, I don't need a permit because I'm going through a window here in a few minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, that, was, that, that, was, that was a weird day, wasn't it? But, it was funny. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, always use a friend's gun. And preferably something that is uh, lower on the on the totem pole of value, uh, because the likelihood of, of two guys your size in a canoe with about three three inches of freeboard between that and the gunwale, you know shit's going to get wet. So, uh, the entertainment value, I tell you, I think that one duck got shot four times 
by four different canoes uh, <laughs> as you came around the corner. It, uh, I tell you, that, that, that uh, duck took whatever load you hit it with. Okay, I got to set the story. We we were uh, we had a big group, and we decided I stopped. While I was working and traveling, I stopped and thought, this is a great place, and there's a canoe livery there. When we come up to hunt, why don't we just take a canoe trip the first day and break up the first day driving? Yeah, on December 1st. It was actually November 1st. Oh, November 1st. Yeah. So uh, as we're standing there, the the livery person goes, would you like to take the seven... Seven mile trip or the eleven mile trip or the seventeen? Well, seventeen, of course. Well, mistake, mistake. It just turned into mistake after mistake. But what Todd's referring to is there was a branch in the laying in the water out there, and it came out of the water. It looked just like a duck sitting in the water. So there's four canoes, I think. So everybody that came around that corner shot at that duck. <laughs> so boom, it was a piece of wood. <laughs> It was a wood duck. It was a wood duck. <laughs> it, it was a wood duck, exactly. It was a wood duck, and it, and it looked like it was doing exactly what ducks would do, swimming in the current. Well, it was bobbing. So, it was bobbing, too. It was going up and down yep. in the current, and so everybody was like, bam! Everybody came around the corner. So, uh, that's, yeah, uh, what'd uh, you get? Oh, we got wet. <laughs> yeah, we got wet. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't finish a story about my brother and I in one canoe with a lot of gear, and we're both plus 250. Well, I was probably two. 30 what well, doesn't matter but two big guys in a little canoe we hit a, a log in the middle and flipped it over yeah in, in november 1st While ice is going by in the manistee river yeah. and uh not a brilliant idea no nah, no that, that's one of those things good idea no bad idea really <laughs> bad bad idea. bad idea but good any other thoughts on ballistics uh, i uh uh yeah actually uh, you know one of the other things federal just came out with a new load called the TSS. Now, it's expensive, but that doesn't mean it's uh, all bad. What I mean by that is they've got this new, it's a new tungsten and some other some other metallurgy in that, in that mix. And the great thing about it is, um, so let's say you want to take some of that out and use it early in the season. You're going to get greater energy, uh, downrange patterns. I mean, these guys are using some of this TSS stuff to shoot turkeys at 45 and 50 yards. What, so, you, you said that's tungsten, not lead? Yeah, it's tungsten. Yep, it's tungsten. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I'd have to look up. The, it's an alloy, I believe. The, yep. So it's a, it's a pretty impressive load. It is, it is expensive. But uh, I, it's the other part. Uh, waterfowling has gotten all the technology advancements in terms of flight control wise and uh, hex size, hex design pellets. Uh, and so nobody's really been investing in, in upland, uh, or I shouldn't say nobody, but the, the, in the advent of ammunition rebranding itself and being available, the ability for companies like Federal and Browning and Winchester and, you know, they, they've, they've been at Remington. They've been able to focus on these either hyper-velocity shells for duck hunting or hex shot or flight control wads. And, and so I expect some of that technology to come into upland loads as, as, as guys continue to want to, to hunt pheasants and grouse, et cetera. So, you know, it's out there. And, and uh, you know, that, that technology from what we had in 1980 to what we have now in 2020 is really matured, and so I think you've got some great uh, components out there that are available. And the upland bird hunter just doesn't have to be stuck with a, you know, a, a, a simple 
you know, hey, this is a box of Remington. I haven't uh, followed it real. I'll, I haven't followed it real close, but I, I would uh, suspect that lead's going to be phased out over time. Is that is that your impression? Well, yeah, and and there are no there just as you know there are no there are no uh, lead smelting plants left in the U.S. They were all um, they were all basically put out of business during the previous administration, and so all the lead that we get in the U.S. for the manufacture of uh, ammunition is all either recycled or reclaimed uh, because we have no longer any smelting plants in the U.S. It all has to come from overseas. Well, that's going to affect the price of lead, too. So it'll be priced out of the market compared to steel or tungsten or whatever, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and the technology is allowing for us to, to get access to other metals uh, that will allow us to probably have uh, better patterns, uh, less issues with you know, crippling birds because you have better better wads, right. better payloads, right? Uh, and powders too. I mean, powder has come a long way as well. Interesting, very interesting. We'll probably have you on again, and uh, you know, yeah, you know, we could we could go we could go, go way powders into powders and all that, but I don't think we have time today. Um, one just casual mention for uh, for you, Todd, is October twelfth. October twelfth, you are the, uh, the you are the lone man who is not going to be in bird camp. So, well, I'm still working on those logistics. I, I will let you know if I can make that work out. What do you put in family, yeah. career, church? What, what do you put in front of bird hunting here? This is what we want to know. Family, career, church. Hey, uh, it goes God, family, bird dogs, hunting. Oh, does it? Right. Exactly. And I, I, and I well, I know your, I know your family. It goes God, well, for me, bird goes, hunting. I don't have a dog. It goes God, God bird, bird dog, hunting. Family. <laughs> yeah, I, I know your family. <laughs> I'm telling you, brother, it's God bird honey. <laughs> I'm done. That's my list. Okay. <laughs> I'm a similar camp to your brother there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, we uh, we do hope to see you this year out there. We'll just have to do some logistics so you know when the big group's going. And that's that we would love to have you there, but. We appreciate the time, and uh, we. I think there's more here that we need to get into more as we get more feedback from the listeners. What do you think, brother? Absolutely. Yeah. And well, I'm happy to provide some of that. Yeah, thanks, Ty. We understand you're driving to go pick your daughter up, so we appreciate taking your time uh, helping us out. Yep. All right, guys. You enjoy the rest of your podcast. Good luck with that. Thanks for having me on, and I look forward to uh, talking to you later. All Great. Right. Thanks. See, See you. Yep. Bye-bye. Hey, we're on Bird Camp Podcast with Matt and Kevin, and we're talking to Dave Gentoff. Is that is that the right pronunciation of your name? Sure, yes. Yeah, <laughs> you guessed, so it wasn't right. But, uh, hey, Dave, give us your background real quick. Close, close enough. <laughs> Cl- close. How do you pronounce it, Dave? Gentoft. Gentoft, okay. Hey, uh, why don't we uh, just kick it right off here. Give us your background. Uh, we see that you're a biologist in Chippewa East and Mackinac East Counties for the Department of Natural Resources in Michigan. If you could just give us a real quick of your background as a biologist, we'd appreciate that. Uh, sure. Um, so I cover um, Chippewa and the eastern part of Mackinac County for things like uh, uh, bird uh, numbers and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, fairly good size area, a um, little bit of landscape differences uh, within the area, but a pretty neat area. Oh, absolutely. And uh, where did you go to school at, Dave? Uh, 
Um, so I have, I went to school locally at uh, Lake Superior State University and then also have uh, went to Northern Michigan University for graduate school. Oh, are, are you a local of the Upper Peninsula? Uh, I grew up in the UP, yes. Oh, great, just like us. So uh, our, our first question is, um, we've come to the understanding, we've talked to one of your peers as well out of Newberry office. We're just kind of getting an update, getting a getting uh, some information out there for the listeners. So uh, we weren't able to do the drumming counts. Is that what you told us? Well, we uh, haven't done rough grouse drumming counts for uh, a few years here, but there is a uh, statewide survey that's done um, and uh, other states have some information. And as you probably know, uh, grouse typically tend to run in cycles um, about 10 years or so, and um, so we have information from other sources that help us. Um, however, you know, information um, in terms of uh, things you can see um, running cross broods in the spring and that kind of thing, a little bit more limited this year because we haven't done that survey in a few years here. Um, but we have other sources of information, a statewide survey as well as information that is collected from other states and such. And as you probably know, grouse uh, tend to run in cycles uh, about 10 years long and such. Um, so we have some idea based on other information on grouse numbers and that or, or trends in the grouse population. Um, our field work this spring was a little bit limited, so... Um, you know, we weren't out as much doing other activities such as projects and that and, and maybe not running across uh, birds quite as much as we would have in past years. Um, right. But from what I see in my area, it looks like um, grouse numbers probably aren't at, at a peak, but probably aren't um, at a bottom either. I would say that they're probably somewhere near average. Okay, near average. Where where are we in that 10 uh 10-year cycle are we like year eight nine is that right yeah i'm not i'd have to look at that information to tell you for sure um what i can tell you is based on my own observations in the local area you know i've seen some grouse i have seen i did see a few broods uh during the spring but i haven't seen you know real high numbers or anything I, like i say i would tend to say it's probably in our area it's probably uh Near average, um, bird numbers may be a little bit below average for our area. Oh, okay. And but it's really going to depend on where you're at. I mean, these things are, uh, you know, basically based on an average of what happens at each individual site. So, you, you know, you may run across some pretty good sites uh, or where sites where you're seeing, you know, good bird numbers, and you may have run across other sites where bird numbers aren't that great. And I'm talking about rough grouse here. Of right. And r- rough grouse, of course, you, there's predation and, and uh, food source, and, you know, there's a lot of factors go into it. One thing we wanted to mention or talk to you about today, Dave, was uh, sharp-tailed grouse. That, that's where I originally grew up yeah. hunting. I grew up in the Pickford area. And, uh you know, that was a big, big sport for us there. So we know sharp tail season's coming literally in a week and uh, we'll actually be up there hunting. Uh, what what do you think the sharp tail numbers will look like and any information on those birds? Yeah, well, and, you know, we're in the same boat with that. We were not able to do the surveys that we often do uh, during the spring this year. So I'm um, 
But um, our gross numbers here have maintained relatively stable over time. Um, most of the area that the open land that we have based on our surveys, it, it suggests that, you know, most of that habitat is occupied by sharp tails. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that sharp tail numbers are high, um, but it does give opportunity to run across a sharp tail. Um, I often talk to hunters and, and explain that um, the sharp tail hunt is a little bit different than, say, a rough grouse hunt where you might be counting uh, flush rate per hour or, or that. Um, usually with sharp tails, you end up doing quite a bit of walking. Hopefully you uh, have an opportunity to see some sharp tails and hopefully have an opportunity um, to harvest one. Um, but they can be, it can take a lot of walking to run across them. I have another uh, kind of important question in my mind for me. Uh, appreciate the information on the sharp tail because it, it is a whole different type of hunting. You're completely accurate. And, uh, you know, the you think the birds are similar, but they're two different environments, as you stated. As far as, you know, we went through the avian uh, flu uh, concern a few years ago. Are there any diseases out there we should be looking for in sharp tail and rough grouse? Um. Is that something that I need to comment on, or um, and I, I the reason I ask is I don't have a lot of information on the local uh, items. I mean, um, we in terms of rough grouse, uh, we were doing um, some looking at West Nile virus and right. that. Um, there was a survey for West Nile virus and that. Um, but in terms of other things, uh, I don't have a lot of information oh, on that. That's so okay. it's probably something that it would be better for somebody else to comment on. That, that's all right, Dave. Uh, one thing I was looking for is if somebody gets a bird, what signs would they be looking for? And what's the proper process of contacting the DNR if you have a suspected infected bird on West Nile or avian flu or anything else? Do you, do yeah, so um, it, what I would suggest is, you know, if if somebody harvests a bird and is seeing something that doesn't look right or that, they're welcome to contact the DNR office. And although uh, we're not currently in our offices, if you contact, uh, for example, the Sault Ste. Marie office, uh, you'll be able to get through to us or be able to leave a message that we can return. So I would I would say that, you know, folks are welcome to contact us to you know, find out more if they're concerned about a bird they harvest and they're seeing something they're not, uh, you know, uh, they're not expecting to see. Yeah. And um, uh, some of the things are not, are not readily apparent. For example, if a bird has West Nile virus or something, it may not be readily apparent. It just depends on the stage and uh, what's going on. And the two things I've been told to look for is underweight or unhealthy looking birds and ones that are acting very abnormally before you harvest them. Is that correct? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that, that I think we've said to, to try to notice is that abnormal behavior. If they're not flushing right or something is a possibility of something going on there. Um, but I think, I think for many hunters, it may be difficult to see in the behavior. I mean, uh, I mean, it's sometimes it might be more apparent, but you know, sometimes it might be a little difficult, um, to be able to identify something. So, Oh, excellent. Okay. It just depends on the circumstances. Well, good. Well, Dave, we appreciate your time. We just wanted to cover those couple topics. It sounds like it looks like the birds will be out there and 
hopefully with COVID and everything, the hunters can get out there and enjoy the sport. But we appreciate the time you've given us today. Uh, any other comments you'd like to make for the podcast? Yeah, I just want to let the uh, hunters know that, especially for sharp-tailed grouse, if they're looking for places to hunt in the area, because most of the um, most of the area where the hunt is uh, contains a lot of private land. We do have the hunting access program active in the area, so there are several hunting access program or HAP parcels available to hunters. They can check out the uh, HAP website at michigan.gov slash HAP to uh, look for HAP opportunities in the area. And I wish uh, all the hunters good luck, and I hope that they have a good time out there. Hey, thanks, Dave, and I appreciate Mission HAP, um, the Hunter Access Program. I've used that the last few years. Uh, we're in a little different situation between family farms and friends. We, we, we don't, uh, really have a need to use that, but we started last year just to cover more ground for sharp tail, especially in the hat program in the Chippewa County is excellent. And just go on the site that you, Dave mentioned, Dave, we appreciate all the information. We wish you the best and have a great weekend. Okay. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Well, we'd like to thank uh, Dave Gentoff. Dave is the biologist in, uh, for the DNR in Chippewa County, Eastern Mackinac County, which is, oh, the Sault Ste. Marie to St. Ignace area in East. Uh, Dave gave us some great information. We appreciate him being on. Uh, welcome to the Covey. All right. Thanks, Kevin. That was a great interview. We're going to talk about season dates. And season dates. Season dates. Tis the season. Tis the season. You know, coyotes open year-round. Just want that mention that because I'm having an issue. Um, rough grouse is September 15th to November 14th. And then there's a pause because people like to shoot deer. Who doesn't? And then we start again December 1st through January 1st. I, I don't think we've ever hunted New Year's Day. <laughs> Never there's thought a reason it. for that. Because <laughs> there's three feet of snow. Yeah. It's freaking cold. Um, sharp tail grouse is coming up on us. That's what we're excited about. Um, that specific area, obviously. October 10th through Halloween, October 31st. Yeah, and that, that area is basically Chippewa County and a hair of Mackinac yep. County and, uh, up, up in the eastern. I have this, we have this pulled up in front of us just for uh, throwing that out there so you guys know. Bag limit sharp tail, two daily, four in possession, six per season. Let me back up to... Was it two daily? Used for to be what? Three. Sharp? For sharp? Sharpies. It used I to just be read three. it and I can't even recall it. Um, bag limit, two daily. Two now. Four possession, six season. If we go to roughed, it's five. Five per day, 10 possession. And then zone one and two and three are um, three day. No, I'm sorry. Zone one and two are three daily, six possession. Oh, I just totally read that wrong. That's well, That's confusing. Go ahead. Take time. So zone three is three daily, six position. Six possession. Zone one and two are five daily, ten possession. There. So up north it's five daily, ten in possession. Right. I think we've had like one or two of those days in our whole hunting career. Okay. Then let's just throw a pheasant out there. Uh for pheasant, you got zone one, it's partial. So you got to look further into that. That's October 10th through 31st, zone 2 and 3, October 20th through November 14th, zone 3 partial, December 1st, January 1st. Bag limits, 2 daily, 4 in possession. 
and the pheasant areas are pretty localized. I, I think there's one up near Manistique in the UP, and that's about it. Well, the thumb area is pretty. Well, the thumb area and then the southern tier of Michigan right. obviously has Without pheasant. going into the zones and yeah. confusing everybody. Quail, that's a new uh, new thing going on. It's uh, October 20th through November 14th. That's five daily tenant possession. Um, last thing I'll talk about is Woodcock. Uh, that opens September 19th. That goes through November 2nd. Say, say that one more time. Uh, Woodcock is September 19th. Okay. So it's already open through uh, November 2nd. Yep. And three daily, nine in possession. Um, is that statewide? Yep. I, I looks think like it, is. it. I think it is. Yeah. And uh, then it talks about uh, you have to have your plug in for that because that's considered waterfowl technically uh, or migratory fowl, I guess it is. Right. And that's all I got. Other everything else is a small game. I have the I'm looking at the duck hunting, waterfowl, we should say. And it says the daily limit shall be six ducks of any species, however, no more than four shall be mallards, no more of two, which may be hens, and it gets even further into what type of wood ducks and we can let you read that online. I just want to cover this briefly. Uh so the north zone, the seasons are September twenty second through November 22nd and then November 28th and 29th. I would think that's Thanksgiving weekend, wouldn't you? I think so, yeah. yeah that would make sense, I guess. Um, goose are September 1st through December 16th up north, middle October 3rd through 29th, and then December 12th and 13th. I guess I don't understand that part. That's ducks and coots. Middle zone, September 1st to December 16th. Um, the south zone, if anybody's interested, is October 10th to December 6th for ducks. I am. Yeah, I know you are where you live. <laughs> December 26th to 27th and goose is September 1 through 30th. October 10th through December 6th. December 26th and 27th. And January 3rd through February 8th. That's a weird season. That's a lot to remember. I, I would encourage you to I go guess I'm to. I'm glad D- I didn't get a goose the other day. I thought it was still open. It's, what, what is goose? I wasn't hunting. I was out walking my property. By the way, uh, actually, you were good. Oh, was I? You, okay. you can't go goose hunting now. Right. You're, oh yeah, it was September. You got to wait so. till October 10th, which will be heading up north. So well. Of course, the duck thing's a little more confusing. It is a very good website the DNR has on their water waterfowling. So look those up. Make sure we, you know, we encourage everybody to be ethical, be legal, and uh, follow the rules because the DNR sets those for certain reasons, and a lot of it's biology. So, uh, anything else on this segment? No, I think it was good. We went over the dates and the bag limits for everybody because uh, a lot of people look at those preseason, and then you know. Forget about it. I do sometimes, obviously. I I always grab the book because I always have questions. Yeah, I download it on my yeah. phone or well, iPad. Well, yeah, people do it yeah. differently, but I always like having that with me because, you know, if you see some geese and it's a hot day and grouse hunting's not, well, well, should we shoot the geese? Well, you have to know the rules. So, yep. cool. All right. Our next episode, we're going to be on live on location up in uh, northern Michigan. Um, Upper Peninsula, we going to do it, you think? Um, yeah, as far going, as as far as a podcast 
recording. Probably the UP would be better. We're going to, well, well, we're going to be in St. Agnes. So we'll probably have pretty good wireless there. And I think that'd be somewhere to do. We also, we'll, we'll do several segments probably. Oh, several segments. We want to do one around the actual campfire, you know, and, uh, because that's a big part of our podcast. Everybody we hunt with says a big part of it's the campfire at night to tell stories and relax and sit and stare at the fire. So uh, we'll be up there and we'll do several segments, as Matt said. Yeah, and uh, maybe we'll run into some of you guys and do a quick field interview, see how things are going. I'd like to give us a shameless plug here. Both of us have uh, Bird Camp podcast stickers in the back window of our truck. If you see us out there, don't be hesitate to stop us. We'd love to interview. We can do that right on our phones on the spot. So if you see uh, F-150s with a BirdCast podcast, bird camp podcast please uh please stop and talk to us We're, we'll be up north uh next week all week so but anything else no that should do it good luck to everybody going out for duck season and uh sharptail excellent cool well thanks for listening to the podcast um i follow up with the information now remember that. the important parts oh. find the birds get the guns dirty get the birds that's the whole process right there yeah if not just get some exercise if not get some exercise and have some fun and, and walk your dog walk your dog there you right. go all right. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Bird Camp podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of us, check out our website, www.birdcamp.net. Also, our email is linked through there. Our email is mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. We also have a new Patreon site to help us with the support of running a podcast. We would appreciate any support. That's at www.patreon.com forward slash birdcamp. We have different donation levels set up as little as $3 a month. $5 a month will get you a birdcamp sticker. And $15 a month, which will give you a sticker as well as a gun cleaning towel with the birdcamp logo. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time at birdcamp.